0: I love I strayed out of thought and time. Actually, it doesn't make good.
1: I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to On Fairy Stories.
0: When you are old, when you are old and gray and full of sleep, and nodding by the fire take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face and bending down beside the glowing bars murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars
1: we're starting our podcast today with the poetry of the Irish poet W.B. Yeats. Uh, that was a wonderfully romantic poem that he wrote called When You Are Old. Yeats had a very romantic soul. He had a lifelong unrequited love for the Irish nationalist Maud Gunn. And his other great love affair was for fairy stories. So here on this podcast, uh, I am trying to talk about fairy stories and myths and legends that help us access uh, something deeply important about our own lives and connecting these strange other worlds to the worlds we live in today. I also wanted to quote something here from Yates uh, from his book Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry. I'm going to be quoting this book a lot on the podcast today and referencing it uh, when I tell you some stories about fairies and changelings, but he wrote about how valuable what he would call uh, the peasant folklore of fairy stories was. He wrote that, quote, they have few events They can turn over the incidents of a long life as they sit by the fire. With us, nothing has time to gather meaning, and too many things are occurring for even a big heart to hold. This, I take it, is the meaning of that simplicity sought for so much in these days by all the poets, and not to be had at any price. So if you are listening to this when this podcast is coming out, you are in the midst of a very strange moment in history where you have been told to stay at home and to slow your schedule down and to socially isolate and quarantine yourselves. Uh, This is in 2020, April 2020, during COVID-19. So I think one of the values of this time is that our lives are at a much slower pace than maybe they've ever been before. So let's take uh, Yates' advice here, uh, something that we couldn't have for any price, and to slow our lives down, slow our lives down to contemplate and sit by the fire like the Irish peasants did. And I think that sitting by the fire and listening to stories is a good place to start so I want to welcome you again to the podcast on fairy stories again I'm Katie Marquette and I'm so glad that you're tuning in Uh, the subject today is going to be fairies and changelings so when Tolkien wrote about fairies in his essay on fairy stories he said that fairies occupied a particularly strange role in uh, myths and folklore that they were these sort of shadow people that lived in a world adjacent to our own but not in our own world so whenever you encountered a fairy it was uh, really by happenstance it was a strange and marvelous incident and didn't really have any bearing on uh, the world that you actually lived in that's why there's so many fairy stories of people who uh, go away in the middle of the night and eat and feast at the fairy kings court and then come home to find a hundred years has passed because the world of fairies is is not our own. Uh, They occupy it, there are remnants of them, but they largely live in another world. Some ethnographers have proposed that the collective memory that we have of fairy stories and about the little people of the hills uh, represents a lost society, a society that was very rural and very old and that we sort of carry their stories and memories with us. Uh, If you notice in a lot of fairy stories, what can defeat fairies is iron, an iron sword or an iron arrow and ethnographers have surmised that maybe this was the memory of another society that maybe had uh, more advanced weapons that came in and wiped out this more rural, uh, nature-based society. So that is one proposition, but you know, like with a lot of these stories, they kind of seem to have always existed and yet never exist. You know, it's amazing that uh, there's so many consistencies, actually, for how many stories are being told across different regions of the world about fairies and elves and little people. I'm going to quote Yeats here when he says, The world, I believe, is more full of significance to the Irish peasant than to the English. The fairy populace of hill and lake and woodland have helped to keep it so. It gives a fanciful life to the dead hillsides and surrounds the peasant as he plows and digs with tender shadows of poetry. They can take man and his destiny without gloom and make up proverbs like this from the old Gaelic. The lake is not burdened by its swan, the steed by its bridle, or a man by the soul that is in him. To continue to quote Yeats, he said of fairies, In dreams we go amongst them and play with them and combat with them. They are, perhaps, human souls in the crucible, these creatures of whim. He talked about how there were three great festivals a year that involved fairies, May Eve, Midsummer's Eve, and November Eve. On May Eve, every seventh year, they, the fairies, fight all around uh, for the harvest and for the best ears of grain to belong to them. So maybe some farmers would find some of their best ears of grain missing. Uh, on midsummer's Eve um, that's when all the bonfires are lit uh, on the hill in honor of Saint John that's when he says that the fairies are at their happiest and that's also when they tend to steal away beautiful mortals to be their brides. And on November Eve he writes that they are at their gloomiest because this is the start of winter and they are dancing with ghosts that this is the start of sort of a evil time for the fairies and, uh, This also goes along with some of the folklore that says that the fairies are pretty uh, morally neutral sometimes they'll help you but they're just as likely to harm you so um, and in some Irish legends uh, there are different types of fairies some fairies are benevolent and some are uh, tricksters and out to get you so you never really know what sort of fairy you're dealing with which sort of adds to their allure so on this podcast I'm going to recount one or two stories uh, from Yates collection on fairies and folk tales and we can learn a bit more about fairies and changelings from him and about uh, what sort of wisdom they have to offer us here today in the 21st century. But uh, let's start by getting the mood right. Let's get a nice Irish wind, some Irish fiddle, a crackling fire, and let's hear one of Yeats most famous poems.
0: The Stolen Child by W.B. Yeats Where dips the rocky highland Of sleuth wood in the lake. There lies a leafy island Where flapping herons wake The drowsy water-rats. There we've hid our fairy vats Full of berries and of reddest stolen cherries. Come away, O human child, To the waters and the wild, With a fairy, hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim gray sands with light, far off by furthest rosses we foot it all the night. Weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles, while the world is full of troubles, and is anxious in its sleep, come away, O oh human child, to the waters in the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glencar, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bathe a star. We seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears give them unquiet dreams. Leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild with a fairy hand in hand for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn-eyed. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside, where the kettle on the hob sing peace into his breast, or see the brown mice bob round and round the oatmeal chest. For he comes, the human child, to the waters in the wild with a fairy hand in hand from a world more full of weeping than he can understand.
1: So again, what you just heard there is the poem "The Stolen Child" by W. B. Yeats. Read uh, just brilliantly, I think, by my husband Chris. So thank you to Chris for that. Uh, it's a beautiful poem. It's a sad poem. Uh, it's really diving into a subset of stories and folklore of the fairies, uh, the the stories that involve changelings. And changeling stories really uh, revolve around the idea of a mortal baby or a mortal child being swapped out by the by the fairies. So your child maybe has started acting oddly. Uh, is is sick maybe um, maybe even dies and you would say well that wasn't my child that actually was the fairies sickly child that they left behind my child although he's not here with me it's quite nice to think that he is off uh, dancing in the world of the fairies so that's really sort of the idea behind changeling stories but I'm going to tell you uh, one story one changeling story here so so imagine one of these uh, really quaint beautiful Irish towns uh, in some vague uh, pre-modern time period, maybe living in an old stone house and this woman, her husband has died but she has her her little boy there with her, he's about two or three years old and he's just the joy of her life, he is just always laughing and uh, is such a well behaved child, he sleeps the whole night long, he helps his mother out uh, with her washing and her cleaning and everything she needs to get done around the house. But all of a sudden, uh, this child of hers, who has always been such a delight, such a happy, happy little boy, all of a sudden becomes uh, quite surly and aggressive and quiet. And she thinks, well, there's something, something wrong with this child. And an old traveling man—there's a lot of traveling men in these stories—will. Uh, he comes into town and he says, "You know, why? Why are you upset?" She's crying out as she's uh, pulling her, folding her laundry. She's crying, and he says, "What's, what's the matter?" And uh, she says, "Well, my little boy, he's just not himself. There's something wrong with him." And he says let, let let me spend some time with him you look like you need a break <laughs> go go get uh go get a cup of tea with the neighbors um take some some deep breaths and maybe you, you just need some time away you're you're exhausted you're a single mom and you need some time off so he says i will i'll help take care of your little boy if you give me some food so she agrees and he stays there with the with the little boy and he does notice that this child is is quite uh quite quiet um but he starts doing a little work around the house setting up a fire and everything and all of a sudden behind him he hears bagpipe music and he turns around and uh that child is gone and there's a small looking maybe it can't be more than three feet high old man sitting on the bed playing the bagpipes and, you know, he's just looking at him in shock, you know, who, who is this? Who on earth is this? And all along, he, he's thinking, well, this must be a changeling. But uh, just as soon as the mother gets home, uh, the old man disappears, the bagpipe music stops and her child, or w- what looks to be her child, is there sitting on the bed again, quite quietly, uh, looking, looking out at them uh, with these big confused eyes. And he decides to wait, he's not going to tell, um, tell, the, tell the mother what's going on yet. So he stays a few more days and the next day, sure enough, he hears the bagpipe music, turns around and there's an old man again. And he's thinking, okay, I have to get, uh, get this, this changeling here to admit who he is and scare him off. So, uh, the third day, he goes to the fire, he's making a fire, every day he's been making a fire for the mother. And uh, this time, he takes a, takes two eggs, and he cracks one open, and he cracks another open, and he starts just pouring water in the eggshells, and he's muttering to himself loud enough for this, uh, this bagpipe-playing old man on the bed to hear him, and he says, oh, this is the best way to make a fire, is to use eggshells. I'm gonna pour this water on the on the logs here and this is just going to make the fire roar and he's just sort of playing around with these eggshells very bizarre thing to do and uh this old man changeling fairy creature can't help himself and he says i've been alive for 300 years and i've never seen anybody make a fire like that how absurd and just as he's saying these words he realizes he's been caught in the act and uh, the man and the changeling sort of exchange this look of recognition just as the mother comes through the door and sees this old man with his bagpipes and realizes that he's been masquerading as her child and now that he's been caught with a sort of banshee-like scream he flies up the chimney and is out of their lives and uh Quite quickly, uh, right at the door, they hear a knock and they open the door and there's a very confused, but very happy, very alive child, the child that has been missing this whole time. And the mother, you know, swoops him up and realizes that all along he's been taken away to go dancing with the fairies and they've left a changeling in his stead to trick her. That is a very typical changeling story, uh, one with a happy ending, thank goodness. Um, some of them don't don't end quite so happily. It ends with the changeling dying, and uh, the presumption that the real child is uh, dancing his life away with the fairies, maybe another time, but they certainly won't be seeing him again. But this time, the mother gets her child back, and uh, the uh, trickster fairy flies up the chimney, that happens a lot, changelings and fairies happen to fly up chimneys a lot, I'm not really sure where that came from, but they, that, that seems to be their uh, preferred mode of exiting the house. And also, you'll see in a lot of changeling stories, this story of um, doing something with a fire involving eggs, involving cracked eggs, uh, this behavior seems to so stump the fairies and just, uh, they can't resist correcting whoever's making the fire and that tends to out them. So uh, that's that's a very a very uh, typical changeling story. So the next story I'm going to tell you is also a sort of changeling story in a way but it is uh, more similar to the stories that involve young beautiful maidens being swept away by the fairies in the night. So in this one there's a young man named Jamie and on New Year's Eve every year he goes for a walk in his family's village and there's an old castle at the top of the hill and he always walks by that old castle at night. On New Year's, especially. So, on this particular New Year's, he is walking by and he happens to hear music, music and dancing, and he looks inside. And sure enough, there's a whole gaggle of fairies in there having a wonderful time drinking and dancing and uh, playing the fiddle and just having a great time. And they see him looking in and they say, young Jamie, come on in and join us. And of course he says, well, okay, sure, why not? So uh, it's New Year's after all, anything goes. So he um, goes in and starts uh, having a great time with the fairies and they say, would you like us to show you some things? And he says, sure. And that's when uh, they offer to fly him around the country. And uh, sort of Peter Pan style, they all lift up into the sky and find themselves cruising over towns and villages and cities and they're pointing out places as they go, you know, there's Dublin, there's Kerry, there's all these Irish towns and villages and cities. And uh, they um, get to a very nice area. They get to a castle, another castle. And uh, that's when they say, oh, we're here to, you know, pick someone up and he looks in the window that they're hovering at and uh, the fairies tap on the window and uh, sort of bleary-eyed with sleep, this beautiful young girl um, with long, long hair looks up uh, in surprise and uh, before she knows it though, she's been cast back into a deep sleep and uh, the fairies are carrying her away into the night and um, they've left a stick on her bed in her stead, and Jamie looks behind him, and he sees that the stick has transformed into the spitting image of the beautiful young young woman. So they're flying along, and uh, Jamie's admiring this beautiful girl, and he says, will you, will you let me hold her? Will you let me carry her? And they say, sure, why not? As soon as they uh, get back to the castle, he takes off with this young girl in his arms, and he hears the fairies cursing behind him, and they say, you know, Jamie, you won't get away with this. And, and now that you've taken this girl from us, she's going to be deaf, dumb, and blind. You won't be able to talk to her. She won't be able to hear you. She won't know who you are or who she is anymore. And so with this sort of tragedy looming over them, he arrives back at his family's cottage and his mother is uh, quite confused and put out to see that he has come home with this uh, young girl in his arms. But he explains what happened and uh, she agrees that there was nothing else to be done. He had to save her from the fairies. So uh, the only problem is that Jamie and his family are quite poor and his mother says there's no way that we can afford to keep this young woman she's clearly very rich a noble woman and she's not going to be used to our lifestyle um you know how are we going to do this and jamie says i'm going to work extra jobs whatever it takes um we'll we'll take care of her and meanwhile this poor girl is a really very confused um and obviously very upset she doesn't know where she is she can't see or hear or talk Um, but you know months pass and she gets used to the routine even starts spinning by the fire and uh, but she's weeping almost every day clearly in confusion and sadness but Jamie is working um, you know dawn till dusk to support this young woman of course he's falling in love with her day by day And um, as a year goes by, it's again New Year's Eve, and this time he uh, walks again by the castle and he hears, of course, the party that the fairies are having, and um, he overhears something very important. And he hears uh, one of the fairies say, oh, if only young Jamie knew that three drops of this drink would restore this young woman to him, would restore her vision and her hearing and her ability to speak, uh, just three drops of this drink. And just at the, that moment, uh, the fairies look out and they see Jamie there and uh, they fairies are notorious for, you know, their guile and uh, they just say, Jamie, oh, welcome back, no hard feelings. And uh, he goes in and um, enjoys a drink with them, um, but immediately after he's done, uh, he grabs one of the goblets and runs straight home again with the fairies just um, cursing him behind him. And he uh, gives three drops the only three drops left in the glass to the girl. And sure enough, her, her memory and her eyesight and her ability to speak and hear comes back and she just falls into Jamie's arms in gratitude. Um, they have so much to catch up on, so much to explain that they all the whole family spends the whole night up talking. but the next day uh, the young woman says, you know I need to go go back to my family tell my you know my mother and my father must be worried sick. we need to go back and explain to them what hap- what's happened. And uh, so they make the long journey uh, back to her, back to her town, back to her very nice castle, and knock on the door, and uh, she asks to see her father, and says, you know, I'm his daughter, and the woman looks at him strangely and says, you know, his daughter died, you know, a year ago, she's, you're not his daughter, and she says, well, yes, I am, just bring him down, and uh, the father clearly, you know, she's kind of in the rags, you know, not as nice clothing as uh, maybe he's used to seeing her in, and and doesn't recognize her at first and says you know my wife she's she never got over it i couldn't possibly even show her to you um you would upset her too much she's only just getting over this why would i upset her again and uh, the young woman starts telling him things that only she would know things from her childhood things about um, the house that only she would know and finally he comes to see that it truly is her daughter and he explains. and uh, she explains to him what happened with the fairies and uh, tells him how jamie you know, saved her life and has been working this whole time to support her and everything. And of course, Jamie is welcomed with open arms and she runs upstairs to see her mother, who is overjoyed and in disbelief. And they spend a long time catching up and explaining what on earth happened with these fairies and how they escaped and how Jamie saved her. And the king said, Well, you know, thank you very much, Jamie you know good luck to you and then that's when the young woman says there's no way I'm letting him out of my sight you know if he goes I go and at that point the the uh, nobleman her father says you know of course Jamie you must be my son-in-law you clearly love my daughter and you've definitely proven yourself so they are imminently wed um, with great splendor and they live happily ever after. So you see in this changeling story, um, the stick that became the young woman, uh, of course, quickly died or uh, seemed to die. So the parents assumed she was dead. So it is that great joy of reunification when um, they find that their daughter is alive and well after all and ends like many good stories, like any good Shakespearean comedy in a wedding. Of creatures they both are of our world and far outside of it they represent a sort of chaos but also the chance at redemption the chance that time is not what we think it is the chance that maybe our loved ones are not lost but just dancing one world away over the hills of heather to quote flannery o'connor here There is something in us as storytellers and as listeners to stories that demands the redemptive act, that demands that what falls at least be offered the chance to be restored. So while many fairy stories are absurd and whimsical, uh, many of them also have this moment of what Tolkien would call the eucatastrophe, that moment where uh, Gandalf the Grey comes back resurrected as Gandalf the White, that surprising poignant turn in the story, poignant, he would say, as grief, but it is that redemptive joy that fairy stories offer us. So I hope you got to glimpse a little bit of that redemptive joy, that restoration uh, in these stories we heard today, and that maybe you'll go read some some Yeats and uh, some of his collection of fairy stories and learn some more about these very interesting and uh, amusing creatures, the fairies and the changelings. Uh, this was a really fun episode for me to make. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to my husband, Chris, who played the piano and the guitar and also read those Gates uh, poems you heard, did a great job doing that. Um, I'm playing the fiddle in any of the fiddle music you heard. Um, unfortunately, neither of us play the bagpipes, so that was not our musical talent there. That was courtesy of Free Sound, the uh, little changeling playing the bagpipes. Uh, maybe someday we'll get around to the bagpipe But in the meantime, keep playing the fiddle, the piano and the guitar and uh, creating these podcasts for you where we explore really good stories and ask big questions about uh, what they mean for our world today. You can learn more about the podcast, get in touch with me, and uh, find links and resources at the website onfairystories.com. I would really love to connect with you there. And uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, make sure you give it a rating and a review, especially with new shows. That's so important. So if you're on iTunes, just head over and give it a quick rating. That would be so appreciated by me. So thank you so much for listening. And again, this is On Fairy Stories, and I'm Katie Marquette.
0: I strayed out of thought and time. Well, ah, yeah. I does me look good, you know.